and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak here tonight. It is such, it's been really cool actually over the last few weeks being able to come here and to, to get to know a few of you a bit better. I really love doing that. For those of you who don't know me very well, um, I am married to Tim and we have three children, Jonah, Emily and Lucy. And we've been coming here to Northridge for about 11 years. So as soon as we came back from Cambodia, we started coming here and had kids and did all, the, all of the normal stuff. Um, on, for most of the week, I actually work here at the church as a worship pastor for the morning community. I've been doing that for about four years. Uh, and on the days where I'm not working here, I um, have the great privilege of being able to hang out with kids at one of the local private schools with the chaplaincy team and share about Jesus, which is lots of fun. Um, Much of my time on those days is introducing kids to Jesus for the very first time, which is really cool. The thing I find really interesting, though, is how comfortable people are, particularly kids, how comfortable they are with an idea of a detached and impersonal God sitting in heaven, completely removed from themselves. I have a picture of, that one of the kids drew for me. It's classic. My picture of God. God with his heavenly bookcase. And the, if you can't see it, the book he's holding is How to Be a Good God. <laughs> oh, how to Be a Great God, sorry. Now, it may, see, it may seem comic, but this actually does reflect a picture of the expectation that kids come to chapel to faith with. It's interesting that they feel comfortable with that. It's this idea that faith is a transaction. I ask God for the things I need here on earth. God listens in heaven and then grants me what I deserved based on the heavenly credits that I've accrued. I live my life with the right values And when I die, I'll earn my ticket to go up to the pearly gates and enter into my golden mansion in the sky. Christianity, the ultimate insurance policy. But as we look at the life of Jesus, at what he taught, at what he stood for, particularly as we look at the Sermon of the Mount, it doesn't take long to see... This doesn't stack up. The way of Jesus, it it transforms us deeply. It's supposed to permeate to the deepest parts of myself, shaping everything that I do, including prayer. So today, as we dive into what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer... I want to start with one of the most common questions that gets thrown my way. Why pray? 
I wonder if you've ever wrestled with that question. Have you ever stopped to consider it honestly in all its gritty fullness? When we allow ourselves to wrestle with it, I think we might find that we actually come face to face with some of the most profound questions of faith. Do my prayers really matter that much? Isn't God just going to do what he wants anyway? Can my prayers actually change things? Does God need me to pray? Or does he just want me to pray? Can God's will be frustrated or not accomplished if I don't pray? In the kingdom of God, prayer is at the heart of what we do. But why? We know it. We know that it's really important. But why? And why is it so hard? Why is it the one thing that so many Christians are dissatisfied with in their lives? Oh, and just to throw another one in there, just in case you've not had enough of the questions. Why is it that sometimes my prayers go unanswered? They're big questions. And at the heart of these questions is the cry, is prayer really necessary? Because when I pray, I want to know it's going to matter. If I believe that God is going to do something regardless of whether or not I pray, then he doesn't really need me to ask. I can just roll on with the flow. However, if I believe that God shapes the world through prayer, and the more that I pray, and the more that I partner in him, with him in prayer, the better the world's going to be. Well, that's going to be something I might even shape my life around. My deepest beliefs about prayer really matter. And ultimately, the proof of what I believe about prayer, it's going to be shown in the way that I pray. See, I believe that prayers can bring revival. They can bring healing. They can change a nation. Strongholds can come down when and if and because we pray. But it's tricky, isn't it? So today we're going to have a look at Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to have a look at the way that Jesus redefines prayer and what it means to pray. So let's have a look. Now, just so you know, I'm going to be using the Passion Translation and the New Living Translation. And the reason for that is because I want to push us into out of our comfort zones. I know when it comes to the Lord's Prayer particularly, a lot of us can recite it. We know it off by heart, but we want it to go deeper to the heart level today. So if you're looking on your phone and you think, these aren't the words I can see, look it up either in the, the Passion Translation or the New Living Translation. I think this first one here is the Passion Translation. So let's read. 
When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Prayer is complex. It's about reaching out and communicating with God but it has to go deeper than the words that we choose to say. It's something we should do often, yet God's already aware of every single need that you have. It's not about appearing to be a better Christian. However, if we're not doing it, we don't remain connected. The heart of prayer that Jesus is teaching about pierces beneath the daily habits of ritual prayer to the core of our identity and our ideas about heaven and earth. Prayer is a partnership and it's one that we are all being invited to right now, today. I'm sure we all know that the biblical narrative, it starts with God creating heaven and earth. So in those first moments of creation, God makes his home on earth, walking with Adam and Eve daily. Creation is marked by intimacy with its creator. And heaven and earth, they're completely united. Completely. God rules over the earth and gives authority with humans to partner with him in bringing forth the flourishing of creation. And to ensure that we could carry out this assignment, he creates humanity in his image. God was recognised in humans so he could accurately represent him. So when creation looked at Adam and Eve, they were supposed to see God. In speaking of prayer, a theologian's Dutch sheets, he says something very interesting. He says, humans were forever to be God's link to authority and activity here on earth. This is the story woven throughout the Bible. God and humans, for better or for worse, doing it together. This is the identity we were created to have before sin entered the picture. But we know that humanity's rebellion, it causes intimacy with God to be lost. We know that earth is ruptured from heaven and now exists in exile and alienation from its intended home. But it's not the end of the story. Every time that you feel like God is far... We know why. We know why it feels that way, but it's not the end of the story. God's purpose is to redeem the earth 
not to abandon it. His goal is to heal that rupture, not to let it win. God is making a way to bring heaven and earth back together through Jesus. I love it that throughout the Old Testament, we see God reaching out to humanity again and again and again. He is not happy with the distance between us. And we see it with Israel. He is constantly reaching out to them, taking the first step for that intimacy to be restored. But Israel just never seems to live up to that mark. I want to go back to the first moments of this partnership that God's trying to create with Israel. And it's in Exodus 19. It's at the base of Mount Sinai. So this is significant because God is saying, you're my people. I want to reestablish this relationship with a people so that you can do what I've created you to do. Go out and partner with me. Bring goodness. Help the world to flourish. And this is what happens. Let's read. God said to Moses, go to the people. For the next two days, get these people ready to meet the holy God. Have them scrub their clothes so that on the third day they'll be fully prepared. Because on the third day, God will come down on Mount Sinai and make his presence known to all people. On the third day at daybreak, there were loud claps of thunder, flashes of lightning, a thick cloud covering the mountain, and an ear-piercing trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp shuddered in fear. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at attention at the base of the mountain. That is a pretty cool description. Any movie I've seen about this has had Moses up on a mountain getting pictures and words from God. I totally, I've got to admit, I've missed this part in Exodus where God's wanting to meet Israel. He's coming down on the mountain to meet them. But let's read on. All the people experiencing the thunder and lightning, the trumpet blast and the smoking mountain were afraid. They pulled back and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. The people kept their distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. God's intention, his intention is to draw close. When it comes to prayer, we have a choice. We have a choice as to how we can step into it. We can stand at a distance and approach prayer as an item on a to-do list. Maybe ask people to pray for us. Or we can let our walls down and we can enter into a relationship of intimacy. A life of purpose through partnership. That's what God's heart is when it comes to prayer. And interestingly, this is where the Sermon on the Mount fits. For all of you scratching your head thinking, why are we in Exodus? It's here that it fits. 
You see, if I was Jewish and I was reading this part of Matthew's gospel and I read of Jesus climbing a mountain and sitting down to teach the people, my mind was meant to go back to Mount Sinai, to the distance between God and his people Israel. But juxtaposed against this picture of fear, of distance, is a picture of faithfulness, of God closing that gap. Because here we see God, he's gone to extraordinary lengths. He has become human. And now he is sitting amongst the people here on the mountain to teach them how they can do this thing of living better. I think that this is why when Jesus teaches on prayer and all of the other things we've been learning on, we need to take note. Because Jesus has come to show us the way to do them and to do them in a way that brings life. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we become a people who pray rather than a people who are dissatisfied in our performance in prayer? Well, I love it. Uh, In one of the other Gospels, in Luke, as they recount Jesus' teaching on prayer, this exact teaching, the disciples ask that very question. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. Not something we're meant to recite. Not a set of words, but a profound, profound teaching as to how we can meet with and approach God. Now, there are so many things that we could pull out of the Lord's Prayer. It is dense. It has so much to it. And we only have time to pull out a few things. In fact, I'm going to pull out three. But please keep digging into it. And I'm sure that as you look at this prayer and you try and read it in different ways and read about it, what people have said, you'll, you will find so many different things that you can, can help you in your life of prayer. But tonight we're only going to look at three. So the first one that we're going to, the first point we're going to take out of the Lord's Prayer is this. It all begins with seeking God. All of it. In the early days of the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber described the Lord's Prayer as warfare prayer. As believers, it is so easy for us to become comfortable in our church routine, in our community life. It is so easy, so easy for us to become spectators rather than intercessors in an army. Jesus reminds us there is more to kingdom There is more to kingdom life than just our church life. The kingdom, it's a dynamic of warfare. And it's going on in our streets. You have been conscripted into this kingdom work. And it starts on your knees. It doesn't take long for us to see the casualties all around us when we have eyes 
that are willing to see. Just in the last few months, researchers, clinical psychologists, practicing psychiatrists at Harvard University and around the world have reported on their attempts to quantify and respond to the unprecedented global anguish that is being experienced everywhere in our world today. The silent pandemic. In Australia, this has looked like unprecedented levels of domestic and family violence. It's looked like racism. It's looked like mental health problems around us in so many places. There is a war for the freedom of people and communities that's going on, for their hearts. And we all have a part to play. We've been called to learn how to deal with these things. I believe this is why Jesus starts by telling us to pray, our beloved Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the centre on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. To pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, it starts with us as individuals. It's to pray that everything we encounter in our lives that stands in opposition to God's kingdom or sin or death, pain, pride or brokenness, that it will be banished by King Jesus. It starts by crying out that God will open our eyes to his goodness and his mercy so that it can be spread as we go about our days. As I go and buy groceries, as I go to uni, as I go to school, that his goodness will spread. As I speak to a friend who has lost hope, as I see sickness and brokenness all around me, as my sibling struggles with an overwhelming sense of worthlessness, maybe a family member needs healing, or a friend needs advice, or a neighbour needs some help. It's all kingdom stuff. It is God expressing his love and care and concern for people through you. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it begins with us praying with authority that God's rule and goodness will be recognised in our world. This is how we start to push back the darkness and bring forth that flourishing of creation. But what if I'm already feeling stretched to breaking point? What if I feel like a casualty of war and It's hard for me to get to the end of the day, let alone engage with this kingdom stuff. 
when we're stretched, it's really, really healthy for us to establish boundaries with people. But we have to be cautious that we're not putting a boundary to God and what he is doing in our life. One lesson that I have learnt, and I'm learning daily, is that God sees me. He knows me better than I know myself. And when there's a disagreement between God and I as to what I can handle, God is always right. Always. There have been times that God has nudged me to do something and I have felt like I am scraping the bottom of the barrel. I've got nothing left to give. It's dry. But when I've chosen to trust that God knows my, he knows my capacity, he knows my life, he sees me, when I've chosen that trust, it has always ended up being life-giving. Because God has always, always provided me with everything that I need. I believe that that's why the very next words in the prayer have been, we acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. You see, as you step into the things that God's calling you to do in a world that's crying out with brokenness, he promises that he will always give you everything you need. His hands are not going to let you go. They're going to provide for everything. Even when I can't see the way. All right, we're going to go on to the second thing. The second thing is that we need to reflect God's grace. We've been reminded over the last few weeks that in the kingdom, forgiveness is key especially when it comes to our prayer life. Let's keep reading in the Lord's Prayer. The next part says, Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness. I love that. I'm going to read it again. As we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. If we're serious about partnering with God, we have been given a responsibility I need to take the forgiveness that God has unreservedly given to me and I need to give it away. Just give it away to others. It's hard and it's messy. And the dominant voice in our culture, it says an eye for an eye. If someone's hurt you, if someone's crossed your boundaries, then you're justified to cut ties, to walk away. You're justified to defend yourself and to stand up for your rights. But we have to see that the way of the kingdom is different, it's countercultural. That way, it looks like a church full of bitterness. And people believing they're justified in feeling that way. If your life is centered on the kingdom, 
the light of God, it's going to loosen up any darkness inside of you. When we resonate the kingdom, we start to comprehend how deep, how wide the love of God is for us. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to earn it at all. It's completely undeserved. That's why the way of the kingdom is built on grace. And grace is so important that after Jesus finishes teaching the Lord's Prayer, two verses later, he comes back to it. And he reminds us that once we embrace God's love, we cannot harbour grudges for long or harbour anger to other people. God's going to put his finger on these attitudes as we draw into his presence. Because our love, it needs to reflect his own. That's what being his image is all about. All right, last one on the home stretch. Arm yourself for battle. Finally, as we intercede and stand in prayer, it's important for us to look to God for our protection and strength. Let's keep reading. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. We need to remember that although we face warfare in this world, and although sometimes the darkness can seem overwhelming, the battle has been won. Jesus has already won complete victory over darkness sin and death. In each and every situation as we draw before God, Jesus can bring life and freedom because he is the king. We are fighting for a victorious king. So as we engage in interceding and in praying for our world, in stepping into this partnership, into this identity, We're to pray, God, please don't lead me into any attacks. Don't let me, please don't let me be blindsided. Don't lead me into anything that I cannot handle. And then we're to believe that we have a real God who is going to help us. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. All right, if you're comfortable in stretching out your hands, I'd invite you to do that because we're just going to spend some time before King Jesus. Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us what it means to live this kingdom life, to step out with you and to partner with you in bringing flourishing to creation. Jesus, give me eyes to see the brokenness. 
Give me eyes to see the things that I need to be dealing with in the world around me. And Jesus, give us eyes to see your victory over those things, Jesus. Give us eyes to see that you have won the power to push back the darkness. Jesus, I just pray that you will fill us with your spirit right now. Jesus, fill us with your spirit so that it's yours flowing, overflowing to the world around us, that we won't strive, but that we will just be stepping in to what we were created to do, Jesus, and allowing your love, your mercy, your goodness to flow to the people who need it. Jesus, I just pray that right now that you will just show us anything that needs to change. Put your finger on anything that you challenge us in, that you're wanting to move so that we can do this kingdom thing better.